What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hey, friends, thanks for joining our podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called Patreon.com slash BP Show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to Patreon.com slash BP Show. Patreon.com slash BP Show. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show. Live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. All right, here we go. One day closer to Thanksgiving. It is the Bill Press Show on Tuesday, Tuesday, November 21. Uh, hey, hey, hey. Hello, everybody. Great to see you today. We are ready to go. Hope you are too. Ready to dive into the news of the day and figure out what it all means and uh, whether uh, the world's a better place today than it was yesterday. Not sure about that. Uh, I don't think it would ever be a better place as long as Donald Trump is in the White House. Hello, hello, hello. Good to see you wherever you are in this great land of ours. We are right there alongside of you on the radio, online, and on television uh, with all of you today to figure out what's going on. we got a great lineup of guests today, and we're coming to you, as always, from our studio on Capitol Hill here in Washington, D.C. Kind of quiet. There are a few senators around, uh, but the House is out uh, all this week. And uh, the following of uh, the big top stories of the day we'll be looking at with our guest the White House has finally come out and admitted that they want people in Alabama to vote for Roy Moore, says spokesperson Kellyanne Conway yesterday, making it official. Uh, Donald Trump saying all those people who came here from Haiti uh, to recover from the earthquake a few years ago, they all got to go back home. We are slamming the welcome door on the people of Haiti. Charlie Rose, uh, the latest journalists to go down in flames because of sexual harassment charges, and H.R. McMaster finally telling the truth about the man he's been working for for the last year, calling him an idiot. All right, all of that to talk about. We jump right into it. Remember, I look forward to hearing from you, your comments on the news of the day on Twitter, at BP Show. But first... This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories for you on this Tuesday morning. We begin with some holiday news here, Bill. As we all know, Donald Trump uh, wants Americans to... We're saying Merry Christmas again. That's right. He's very. Uh, did you ever stop saying Merry Christmas? I, no, 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 not really. Did, did I? No, I never did. I throw in a Happy Holidays every once in a while, but I don't exclusively use the Happy Holidays. Merry Christmas is just fine. Donald Trump 
happy to let Americans know they'll be saying Merry Christmas again. Also happy to unveil his pricey new Make America Great Again hats. Oh, uh, really? For Christmas presents, huh? The Christmas edition, it is adorned with embroidered lights on the front. No, they don't actually light up. They're just pictures of lights. And the phrase Merry Christmas on the back of the hat. So, uh, the standard Make America Great Again hat bill costs $25. Any uh, idea how much this special edition Merry Christmas hat costs? Does it, it says Merry Christmas on it, too, right? On the back, yeah. On the back. With Christmas lights um, on the front. 35 Nope. We're going to go $10 higher, a whopping $45. Get out. Really? That's what will set you back if you want the MAGA uh, Christmas hat. It's an 80% and, premium over the standard And where hat. does all this money go to? Uh, as far as I know, it goes to the Republican Party. Oh, the Republican the, the, Party. The ah. GOP Twitter account uh, shared this yesterday on their official account. To uh, Democratic mega donor Tom Steyer, if you have a lot of money and you hate Donald Trump, you're going to do everything that you can to impeach him. Uh, Tom Steyer, of course, with a uh, now infamous ad out uh, asking Americans to sign a petition to impeach Donald Trump has over 2.5 million signatures uh, as of right now. As of this minute, he has pumped $20 million into the campaign, and now he's taking the campaign to Times Square. Billboards will be going up very shortly to show how many signatures have been signed uh, to his petition to impeach Donald Trump. The advertisement will run until New Year's Eve and will appear for 10 minutes each hour. So Tom Steyer, $20 million into this campaign. He won't slow down. Uh, the question is, what is Tom Steyer running for? That's He's either running question. for governor or senator from uh, California. Jamie, figure out how much that is per signature. $20 million for two, two million signatures. Yeah, give me a half hour. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. The White House finally says, yep, we want the people in Alabama to vote for Roy Moore. Why? Because we need his vote on the tax cuts. Yes, tax cuts over morality, tax cuts over principle, tax cuts over decent, uh, proper behavior uh, in this country. Says a lot about the Trump administration, says a lot about the Republican Party, doesn't it? What do you say? Hello, everybody. On a Tuesday, November 21, good to see you today. And great to have you with us here on the Bill Press Show, reaching out to you nationwide, coast to coast, on every single platform we can find uh, to uh, join you today to talk about the news of the day. We start out online, of course, on Twitter, I mean on uh, YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remind you and plead with you once again, if you're watching on Twitter, if you're joining us on Twitter, I, I keep saying that, on YouTube, on YouTube, please subscribe while you're there so we can count you uh, as our subscribers, one of our subscribers, and so we can um, entertain you and inform you all day long with uh, new little news clips or little videos that we that we send out during the day, but unless you are a subscriber, uh, you won't be getting them. So you know, Bill, when when you were out uh, last Wednesday, Peter was hosting, and we we just kept hammering this home. We were uh, under ten thousand at the start of the show, uh, somewhere around I think like uh -huh. uh, yeah ninety ninety nine hundred, right? And we pushed, we pushed, we pushed, and we got above ten thousand 
in like what a half an hour uh, right. while All we were right. doing the so, live show. So right now we're at um, ten thousand one hundred eighty-one. I I want to try to get Bill to to at least ten thousand. 10,500. I want to get to 10,500 by the end of the show. All right. 10,500 by the end of the show. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Tell a friend. And if you haven't yep. subscribed, what are you doing? Just yeah. just do it. Yeah. Just easy. get it done. It's easy. It's free. And just do it, please. Thank you. And uh, also joining you, of course, on Free Speech TV. You're looking good there in TV land today. On the radio, out in the great Chicago, on the great WCPT, in the greater Chicago area. Uh, a little cold along the wind, uh, the uh, lakefront this morning, but uh, it's good to be there with you. And also joining you in Indiana on Indiana Talks. Wow, with so much to talk about. Where do we start? Well, let's start with, uh, oh, and on Patreon, I've also got to tell you about that. That's yet another platform. Uh, this one has a little paywall to it. Not much. It's just five bucks a month. Go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and sign up because we are running now the latest installment uh, in the special uh, sort of documentary we put together um, on, although it's all audio, uh, on the making of Bernie Sanders. You know, uh, we had a, a big part in that here on this show, and uh, uh, Carol and I in particular, um, with a couple of uh, hosting a couple of gatherings at our house. The story is all out there. And in this latest installment, uh, I interview uh, Nina Turner, former state senator from Ohio who was a big, big uh, surrogate for Bernie Sanders during the campaign, uh, 2016 primary campaign, uh, and then and now has gone on to become the president of um, Bernie Sanders' organization called Our Revolution. So Patreon, patreon.com. She's just a rock star. I mean, she she's got all these titles, but she at the end of the day, a total rock star. rock star. Absolutely. Where do we start? I'm going to start with a little update from yesterday. Uh, we talked yesterday about this... Uh, Decision by Donald Trump to reverse a decision his administration has made. So we've seen Donald Trump reverse a lot of stuff that Barack Obama had done. This is, or by the way, that George W. Bush had done. This is the first time that Donald Trump has reversed something he did, his administration did, a week ago. He, I mean, he says it happened without his knowledge. Uh, that he didn't know about it until he read about it in the newspaper. And this was the decision by the Interior Department, with the blessing of the White House, by the way, wouldn't have happened without that. Uh, so somebody screwed up here somewhere. Um, that the, the, the Interior Department saying that uh, Americans can resume trophy hunting of elephants uh, in Zimbabwe and Zaire uh, and bring those ivory tusks home. Uh, the Obama administration had banned that practice, rightfully so. By the way, I learned yesterday there are something like 40, 45 countries where there are elephants on the planet today. Only out of that, let's say it's 40, right? Only three or four countries allow trophy hunting of elephants. So it's a very limited practice anyway. It's wrong. It's cruel. It's barbaric. So it's kind of like the small amount of countries, which we're now down to one, that uh, haven't signed the Paris Climate uh, Agreement. Sort of like that. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, shame on us. Uh, so at any rate, uh, this happened. Donald Trump heard about it, and who knows why, but he said, no, well, I don't agree with that, even though my administration did it. I want to put that, um, that uh, new order on hold, 
And he said, I'll make a final decision this week. We haven't heard yet the final decision, but we think we know what's going to be because he said, I refuse to believe that allowing trophy hunting of elephants is a way to protect elephants, which is what the big game hunters say. It's total BS. Uh, So Trump blocked that. Uh, Yesterday, I was on uh, CNN Headline News with Carol Costello, and I had a chance, I told her, to say this is, uh, I never, well, I so seldom uh, get a chance to say this that I wanted to say it on national television, and I'm saying it right here again on national television and radio. Thank you, Donald Trump that Donald Trump did something correct. He did something right. Congratulations and thank you, Donald Trump. But the question is, why did he do it? Uh, the Washington Post speculates this morning that he remembers first seeing elephants when he was a little boy and he went to the zoo for the first time. Who knows? But we know his two sons, Donald Jr. and Eric Trump, are both big game hunters. They're both trophy hunters. So they, uh, if you ask me, this was like a family feud. They're the ones who pushed Interior to do this. They got their way until Daddy found out about it. And I learned yesterday how Daddy found out about it uh, from uh, a very good source, Wayne Paselli. We've had him on the show many times, who's head of the Humane Society of of America. Ran into him at CNN, uh, and he told me, that a key person in this reversal of the decision was Laura Trump, Eric Trump's wife, who is a big animal activist. Uh, And according to Wayne, uh, he is sure that she was a strong voice in persuading the president to do the right thing on the elephants. So we had a little family feud there in the White House. Uh, uh, Daddy and Laura versus Donald Jr. and maybe Eric. So Eric may have changed his tune. We didn't really. Yeah, know. quite a change for Eric Trump because but, there are still pictures yeah. online with yep. both of them both holding of them. up big game, dead big game, right? Right. Donald Trump Jr. responding to tweets uh, because these the, photos first came out back in 2012, right? So yeah. folks came yeah. after him. Yeah. Right. Uh, someone tweeted at him back in 2012. You and your brother are the cliche examples of self-entitled. I can't say what they A-holes. say there. Yes. Yes. Hunting uh-huh. picks. Wasteful and disgusting. Donald Trump Jr. responding to this tweet back in 2012. I can assure you, it was not wasteful. The villagers were so happy for the meat, which they don't often uh, get to yeah, eat. Oh, God. Very grateful. Oh. Someone else coming after him saying, uh, Donald Trump Jr. responding, I'm not going to run and hide because the PETA crazies don't like me. In this case, a member of his family, Laura Trump, is one of these PETA crazies now. Yes, uh, and uh, again... I hope that Donald Trump does the right thing permanently this week. I can't believe he will not, uh, but we'll be watching that for the time being, though. We're moving in the right direction. And the White House is moving in the wrong direction. Uh, at the briefing yesterday afternoon, by the way, Sarah Sa- on Roy Moore, uh, Sarah Sanders yesterday, she was trying to say, it, 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 she keeps saying, no, 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 no. Our official position is it's up to the people of Alabama how to decide which, by the way, well, let's hear her first. We certainly think that this is something that the people of Alabama should decide, and I'm not going to be able to weigh in anything further beyond those comments. Now, normally, that's the right thing to say. Normally, right? Uh, You got an election, and uh, it's not unusual for the head of a party to take a side saying you ought to vote for the Republican or the Democrat. 
for most of the people that say, well, you know, this decision, who's the senator from Alabama, who's the senator from Arizona, who's the senator from North Dakota, that's it is up for the people of North Dakota to decide. But in this case, you're talking about a pervert. You're talking about a pedophile. You're talking about a predator in Roy Moore. It's time for the White House to take a stand and say, no, this is not the kind of guy we believe should be in the United States Senate or should be representing the Republican Party. So that in itself is a big cop-out. But while Sarah Sanders is saying that in the afternoon to the White House press corps, yesterday morning, Kellyanne Conway, the senior counselor to the president of the United States, on Fox and Friends, and let me just do a little aside there. This is the first time that I've seen Fox and Friends in particular really go after somebody from the Trump White House. They 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 roasted her yesterday. It was a rare moment of journalism it, on Fox it, News. No, it really was. And all three You usually them, have to wait till Shep Smith comes on in the afternoon to, to, to uh, see totally. something like this. Which I think is a a little sign, maybe, that things are starting to change. Even Fox News may be getting fed up with the BS coming out of the White House, particularly the defense of Roy Moore. Uh, so here they're grilling her, and Steve Ducey comes in with the, uh, the big question. And here Kellyanne Conway's response. Doug Jones in Alabama, folks, don't be fooled. He'll be a vote against tax cuts. So vote Roy Moore? I'm telling you that we want the votes in in the in the Senate to get this tax this tax bill through. Ah, I think that was actually Brian Kilmeade there with Steve Ducey's yeah. the next cut. But at any rate, you hear what she's saying is we want the we want his vote for tax cuts. So we don't care how many teenage girls he molested or abused or assaulted or preyed on. We don't care how many fourteen year olds and this this woman the the, the First one, the Washington Post talked about, Lee Korfman is her name. She was on um, Good Morning America um, or, no, CBS News uh, yesterday morning, and she told her story about when she was 14 and he picks her up around the corner from her house and takes him to, to uh, takes her to his house and puts some rugs on the floor and takes her clothes off, most of them, and then he goes in his bedroom. He comes back with his underpants on and forces her to touch him to his underpants. I mean, it's a sick, sick, sick story. And and the White House is saying, no, 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 Kellyanne Cump, we want him in the we want him in the Senate because it's more important that we get our votes, his vote for tax cuts for the wealthiest of Americans and for the big corporations. That's, so vote Roy Moore. Yeah, yeah, that's their priority. That's what they believe about decency, about morality, about anything, right? And and that the tax cut is more important than that. And then Kellyanne Conway has to take a blast at Doug Jones. I just want everybody to know Doug Jones. Nobody ever says his name. And they pretend that he's some kind of conservative Democrat in Alabama, and he's not. Kellyanne. And Yes. Will the president be going back down to Alabama to campaign on behalf of Roy Moore before the uh, special election? There's no plan to do that. <laughs> yeah. Although Donald Trump did promise to do that before when he was down there with Luther Strange. Remember, he went out of his way to say Roy Moore is a good man. 
And if he wins, I'll be down here campaigning for him. At any rate, just disgusting to hear the White House say, no, 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 we stand for the pervert in order to get his vote on tax cuts. This is Donald Trump's candidate. Luther Strange publicly may have been Donald Trump's candidate. He's, but he is now he, Donald Trump's candidate. In morals and ideals and, yeah. and a vision for this country, Yep, Roy Moore is Donald Trump. Absolutely. Meanwhile, uh, as we have said, a sexual harassment is not a partisan issue. It is wrong, 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 no matter who does it. Uh, and yesterday, uh, in the field of journalism, first of all, uh, two more big names uh, came out. Um, one, Glenn Thrush, who's been a frequent guest on our show uh, when he was at Politico and even since, since he's moved to the uh, New York Times. I think he's been in studio since he moved to the New York Times a couple of years ago. But at any rate, uh, Glenn Thrush, uh, three different uh, women who've come forward and said that uh, Glenn Thrush uh, acted inappropriately toward them with uh, sexual advances. Uh, Glenn Thrush has been suspended by the New York Times uh, and has agreed. Uh, he also has a, an alcoholic, alcohol problem and has agreed to go in for treatment. Uh, and maybe the, certainly the bigger name, Charlie Rose, uh, Charlie Rose with the Charlie Rose Show on PBS, which is also carried on Bloomberg. And, of course, he is part of the morning. He's one of the co-hosts of the um, morning show, whatever it's called, on CBS. Um, uh, and CBS This Morning. CBS This Morning. Thank you. Uh, eight different women have come forward with shocking stories about uh, Charlie Rose uh, making advances on them, parading around naked in front of them, calling them to his house to ask them to work on some projects, prancing around naked in front of them. It goes on and on, inappropriately touching them. Uh, and Charlie Rose uh, has been suspended uh, 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 by all three networks, by the way, uh, by CBS, by PBS, and by Bloomberg, off all of all three networks. He's also contributors to uh, 60 Minutes, by the way. Uh, and we mentioned yesterday that um, however many male members of Congress there are among the 535 members of the House and Senate, uh, you can be sure that every single male there certainly is under investigation by reporters today to see if there are any skeletons in his closet. Um, well, one more has surfaced overnight, and that is uh, Congressman John Conyers, the senior member of the House of Representatives, I believe. He's 88. I think he's the oldest House member um, has settled uh, sexual harassment complaints uh, in his uh, office. It was reported uh, with um, more than one woman uh, in his career. One of them is recent. One of them just uh, a couple of years ago, by the way. Um, a woman who said she was fired because uh, she refused his uh, sexual advances. Uh, and then uh, yesterday, also a second uh, woman came forward to accuse uh, Al Franken of inappropriate contact as well while he was a senator back in 2010 uh, when he was uh, uh, taking a selfie with her or taking a photograph with her, having a photograph taken with her by her husband, by the way, uh, at the Minnesota State Fair back in 2010. Uh, and uh, he was smiling for the camera while his hand was squeezing her butt. Um, By the way, we uh, it asked. Goes on and on, uh, but again, across the board, it is wrong. Uh, I just uh, just to finish sure. that point. I disagree with 
uh, the people from Indivisible, uh, a great, otherwise great liberal progressive organization, which yesterday called for uh, uh, Senator Franken to resign from the Senate. Um, based on what we know so far, based on that one incident when he was a Senate, I think there's a Senate Ethics Committee investigation that's the right way to go. Um, not every crime deserves the death penalty. Uh, not every single uh, accusation deserves expulsion from the United States Senate. But let's see what the Senate Ethics Committee comes up with. And Senator Al Franken was the first one to say uh, and to welcome a, an, uh, a public open hearings and investigation by the Senate Ethics Committee. Well, let's let that happen. We asked you yesterday on Twitter, on our Twitter yes. account, at BP Show. In fact, there are 14 minutes left if you're watching or listening uh, us live on uh, YouTube, uh, free speech, or the radio. We asked you, should Senator— mean, 14 minutes left. 14 minutes left. The, the polls on Twitter, uh, 24 hours. Oh I, oh, I got it. Oh, before the final oh. results come in, right? Oh, oh, I didn't know that. Okay, right. So the live results right now. Should Senator Al Franken resign? 23% of you say yes. Mm-hmm. 66% of you say no. 11% of you say if there are more victims. Ray, who monitors our social media accounts, tells me that most, it was favorably no for, for uh, the majority of yesterday until the, the second, second allegations yeah, yeah. came out. A couple of comments on Twitter. Um, Ella, Ella Bai, I'm not quite sure how to, how to say this Twitter account. I'm a progressive and think so, A, because the behavior is wrong, and B, because it's hypocritical of the center leftish to not call for it. That's an interesting take. I, I understand your point as well, Bill. There are some folks on Twitter, like unrepentant liberal, who says, pay attention, Bill. Evidence is mounting that this was a Roger Stone Fox News Republican hit job. Please, please, please don't go down that path. I mean, this the, the allegations are real. These are real victims. We need to pay attention to this, and we need to listen to these victims um, no, but but I, he's making a different point. Absolutely, he's completely making, different point. He's making. I'm saying a don't point. go down that road. Don't right. go down the conspiracy okay. theory road. Yeah, right. Okay. But I, keep those I, comments I, coming in. We want to hear about it. Obviously, new new news on Al Franken, John Conyers, Charlie Rose. This is um, it's a rough time right now. Uh, it is uh, a rough time, and again, I think it's important uh, that we be um, consistent. Meaning, it is wrong. It is wrong. It is wrong. Period. Uh, I also think that we keep our heads again, uh, and uh, not every misdemeanor deserves, uh, or not every mortal sin deserves the death penalty. Uh, and there are we have to look at each case individually. Al Franken, as wrong as it was, Al Franken is no Roy Moore. Al Franken is no Donald Trump. Uh, Al Franken is no Roger Ailes. Is no Bill O'Reilly, and is no Charlie Rose. Um, but there are a couple of things. By the way, uh, our little our guest rundown for today, Amy Harder from uh, Axios, will be joining us. She is just back from Bonn and the big climate change summit in Bonn, where, of course, there were two United States delegations, uh, one in support of doing everything we can to to back up the Paris Accords, even though Donald Trump pulled us out of them. And the other, this weak uh, delegation representing the Trump administration, which was basically laughed out of that climate change conference. We'll get a firsthand report from Amy Harder, also the latest on the Keystone Pipeline uh, with Nebraska's decision yesterday. Uh, then John Allen from NBC News will be here the entire hour, uh, second hour, as a friend of Bill, 
Nobody knows the political scene better than John Allen. He's uh, um, wrote the uh, book Shattered, Shattered with uh, Amy Parnes. How could you forget? You're in the book. I Bill. know I'm in the book. Right. Lord. I'm sorry. I read it, and that's a couple of months ago. And then uh, we'll be joined, John Allen and I, by Joe Sirincioni for the last half hour. Yeah, a couple of other items I wanted to mention. One is H.R. Uh, McMaster. Yes, the uh, head of the Homeland Security Department. Uh, <laughs> uh, in total frustration, it's reported uh, by, I forget who did the story, but at any rate, uh, in, in a dinner party uh, this summer, according to several sources, H.R. Uh, McMaster he leaves the White House, he has dinner with friends, and privately he just laments how hard it is to work with and for Donald Trump because he is such an idiot. Uh, and General McMaster saying uh, that uh, actually Donald Trump had the intelligence level, he says, of a kindergartner, that what was really dangerous, this is, again is H.R. McMaster, according to the sources who were there, several of them corroborating uh, the report, uh, that what's dangerous for the country is that he does not, Donald Trump does not have the brain power, according to H.R. McMaster, does not, General McMaster, does not have the brain power to understand the issues that are brought before the National Security Council, uh, and he very intelligent person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what uh, Don Trump said about himself. Not according to General H.R. McMaster. And McMaster used the words actually to describe Donald Trump uh, as idiot or as a dope, uh, which echoes, of course, remember um, Secretary of State Rex Tillerson uh, also talking to aides after a meeting at the Pentagon where Donald Trump was particularly clueless one day, uh, Rex Tillerson said, it's hard dealing with a moron. All right, so we've got two of the top people in the Trump administration uh, calling the president an idiot, a dope, uh, and a moron. By the way, oh just in God. this morning, that moron, Donald Trump, the president of the United States, mm -hmm. it is announced by a White House official just minutes ago, will be speaking on the phone with Russian President Vladimir Putin. Oh, this morning, Putin just coming off a meeting yeah. with Syria's president, uh, Bashir al-Assad. So. Well, he saw his buddy Putin last week, right? They've got to keep up. Just, the, just two weeks ago. Yeah, they've they've just got to keep up uh, the friendship. Uh, and finally, I just got to get this in. Uh, you know, I wasn't able to get to the briefing, White House briefing yesterday, and I'm glad I didn't uh, because I think in the most insulting move I've ever heard at the White House, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders made the point yesterday to starting her briefing that this is the last briefing before uh, we will have in this room um, before Thanksgiving holiday. So therefore, I want to start. You get, get the picture here now of a first grade classroom, okay? Or maybe kindergarten. I'm going to start today, boys and girls, by telling you the things that I'm thankful for. And... You don't get to ask a question, she told the reporters, unless you first tell me what you're thankful for. You have to start every question that way. And Sarah Huckabee Sanders started off by saying, I'm grateful 
for my family. I'm grateful for my wonderful husband. I'm grateful for our great country. And I'm grateful to work for this wonderful, wonderful man. I'm paraphrasing here, Donald Trump, and to be his spokesperson and to have this job. Boom, boom, boom. Give me a break. This right? is shades of Sean Spicer treating the briefing room as a uh, kindergarten class. Yeah, I just Please wanna, calm down. I just want to vomit, right? And then she calls some reporters. I got to tell you, if I were there, I would not have played that silly game. I am so ashamed of my fellow White House reporters for going along with this. And the first person she called on was April Ryan from Urban Radio, who's a good friend and a great reporter. But and 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 April says right away. I'm grateful, you know, whatever, for her family, for her girls, for her, for her job, and for having the right, the, the opportunity to cover the White House. And then she asks a question, and every reporter played along with that game. I can't believe it. Don't they have any dignity? Don't they have any independence? Don't they have any self-respect to be treated that way, and to have that briefing turned into, um, again, a first-grade classroom? It's just disgusting. I got to give credit to our friend Aswin Subsang, who tweeted out yesterday at the same time. He said, I'm thankful for not having to go to the White House briefings. Amen. Amen to that. I got to tell you, after yesterday, I don't know whether I'll ever go to another briefing given by her. But I am going to the White House today at 1 p.m. Eastern for the turkey pardon today. Yes, indeed. I want to be there because... I believe instead of pardoning those turkeys, Donald Trump could very well just pick up an axe and chop chop their heads off right on the spot. You watch. He'll pretend. <laughs> he'll call one of them Kim, Kim Jong-un. He'll go full rocket man. <laughs> he will. Yeah. He'll go full rocket man. <laughs> He's short, fat, and ugly. <laughs> off with his head. All right. Hey, let's put it on hold there for just a while. And uh, when we come back, we'll say hello to Amy Harder from Axios. Uh, getting the latest on uh, the world of energy, environment, and climate change. So vote Roy Moore. I'm telling you that we want the votes in in the in the Senate to get this tax this tax bill through. Download our podcast. Search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is the Bill Press Show. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. How about it? On a Tuesday, November 21, hello, 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 and welcome back to The uh, Bill Press Show here. We are barreling our way, I'm all right, through the news of the day with the help of our good friend from Axios, uh, Amy Harder, who uh, joins us, energy reporter for Axios. Hi, Amy. Good to Hi. see you. Good morning. Good to be here as well. And we're coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our studio on Capitol Hill, uh, where we're brought to you today by the American Federation of Government Employees, those good men and women of the AFGE. They keep our federal agencies running every day. Uh, proud to get up and work for America every day, uh, not just the federal agencies and their headquarters here in Washington, but all across the country, across the board. And we thank them, salute them for their good work, and thank them for the support of the program. Amy, just back from uh, the big climate change uh, conference in Bonn, uh, where 
there were sort of like competing American delegations, right? There was. There was one uh, official delegation that was very quiet and subdued. It was um, led ostensibly by the State Department, some rather low-level career diplomats at the State Department. But then the the one. What was their message? Their message was coal. No, the State <laughs> Department's message. Oh. The non-political people. Oh, their message was n- nothing to see here. We're just going about the the boring but important details of implementing the Paris climate deal. Because let's remember the the president has said he's going to withdraw the U.S. from the deal, but that's a process that takes at least three years. So the State Department, the low-level career folks, are just going through the transparency and other wonky details of the deal. Mm. Now, the political delegation Mm. that was there for the, the administration, their message was, we need fossil fuels and nuclear power to be part of the solution to climate change. Now, I would say that they didn't really couch it like that. They basically just talked about how great fossil fuels and nuclear power are. They didn't really emphasize um, to what degree these sources really need to be part of this problem that we all agree is happening, which is climate change. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was led by a couple of top White House officials. And they held a side event, which is really just a, a glorified press conference or rally. It didn't have any bearing on the actual negotiations that were taking place. But nonetheless, it was the hottest ticket in town. There were hundreds of people waiting to get in. There were protesters. Um, and that certainly got a lot of attention, even if it didn't have any bearing on the actual uh, event. Uh, but that was one where they said what we need is more clean coal, right? Right. And I would say that to a certain point, I agree with their logic in that the the, the models that the UN and other objective bodies uh, say about climate change, you can't get to a two-degree limit without technology that captures carbon emissions from coal plants and other fossil fuels and puts it somewhere other than the atmosphere. Um, Most models show that that's essential technology. But that wasn't really the message uh, that the administration was sending. It was more just saying, oh, everybody here is burying their heads in the sand if they think coal is not going to be part of the equation. It wasn't um, as elegant or well-rounded a policy as I think some people might have been hoping. Now, that being said, there were some panelists there um, who, uh, even in a former Obama energy official who was on the panel invited by the, the Trump administration, and they agreed in part with the administration wanting to open up the discussion about climate change to not just be a bunch of activists and climate negotiators, that you do need to acknowledge that this entire economy runs on fossil fuels. And, and I do think to that extent, I think it was helpful to open the debate. But the administration, I think, did it in a clumsier way than um, would have been possible. Is there such a thing as clean coal? There is such a thing as clean coal technology. It does sound like a contradiction in terms. That's true. Um, And there's been jokes about... Brian Schweitzer, the former governor of Montana, uh, was in our studio many times, and he always used to bring a little bottle with him, a little jar of clear, totally clear liquid. It looked like vodka. And he said, you know, this is coal, right? (laughs) There's a liquid made from coal. You can do it. You can do it. It is technically possible. There's 17 um, carbon capture and sequestration plants around the world. Only two of them are actually coal plants. The rest are industrial plants. And in fact, that's going to likely, the experts say, the most essential way to use this technology to capture carbon. Because when people make cement and steel, emissions come out of that process inherently, and you need to capture the carbon emissions from that process, putting aside coal. So clean coal does exist technically speaking. The technology is very far from being commercially available because it's so expensive. 
So wasn't there a third group of players yes. from the United States in Bond? So they were kind of nicknamed the shadow delegation, although that's not quite the right term because they were much larger than the I was other. just going to say, they're hardly, the people that I know who were there are hardly sha- right. in the shadows. So there was this big pavilion on the side of the conference. Um, it looked like a giant igloo um, funded by uh, Tom Steyer, and a, a billionaire environmentalist from California who's in the process of doing a big campaign to impeach President Trump and also former mayor Michael Bloomberg. It cost them a couple hundred thousand dollars. Anybody was welcome to go into this igloo, not just people with special passes um, at the conference. There was free food, free coffee all day long. Whoa. Um, most nights there was free wine and beer. Whoa. Yeah. And it was, you know, um, do, do you, you ha- could tell people wanted to go there because they got free food. I mean, there's nothing like um, free food and alcohol to bring people. Did you hang to- out there? You know, I, I moderated a couple of events um, there, but I didn't. I was all over the conference, so I spent a couple of times there. I had some conversations with Tom Steyer there and some of the Democratic senators who visited. So who were the leaders who were there? So there were five Democratic senators and uh, a lot of the governors from the West states, California, Oregon, Washington. It, it was mainly represented by your typical uh, coastal states. Now, it, it was this coalition called We Are Still In. And they, they tout that if they were a, a, a country by themselves, they would be about the, the third largest country, the third largest economy in the world, which is impressive. But their carbon emissions only amount to 5% of the entire world. So that gives you a sense of, yes, they have some economic heft, but they don't actually represent where the hard decisions need to be made. Mm-hmm. And Germany, where the conference is being held, is a great example. Um, the um, Chancellor Merkel is a big proponent of climate change, but they're uh, getting off nuclear power, they're phasing it out, and their carbon emissions are actually um, not going down and they're not going to meet their goals, in part because they're incredibly dependent upon coal. Because of phasing out nuclear power, they're becoming more dependent upon coal. So Germany is actually a perfect example of the tough decisions ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know um, you mentioned Mayor Bloomberg, uh, Tom Steyer, uh, Al Gore, right? Mm-hmm. Was right, prominent. Al Gore was there. Um, and then Jerry Brown, uh, Governor Jay, Brown, Jay Inslee, right? Kate, Kate, Kate Brown from Oregon. Kate Brown from Oregon. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who I uh-huh. caught up with for a few minutes. Yeah, he's he's still t- talking about these issues. Uh, yeah, and they were all they did a lot of events, um, you know, touting you know that the U.S. is still in, and it. You know, talking to other negotiators there, they they said it was it was nice to have this support, but it, it can't replace the federal government. Um, like I said, this coalition represents, I think, up to 35 percent of U.S. greenhouse gas emissions. It doesn't represent the areas where you need to get action. And that's, you know. But doesn't it, it doesn't it seems to me that, that it does indicate um, that certainly the United States is divided on this issue. Right. And that. Um, while Donald Trump may be going in one direction, the people who are making the day-to-day decisions, a lot of them are going, are sticking with the program. I think it certainly shows that the country is divided. I think um, most people, I think the majority of people in America, if you look at the polls, they, they acknowledge that climate change is real and that it's a problem. But most people don't think it's an urgent problem. Most people don't vote vote on climate change. And so I think you, you know, you didn't see governors from, say, Colorado there or, you know, some other um, more purple states. Virginia, Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. the outgoing governor of Virginia was there. I think that probably represents the most purple state. 
And so you saw the most diehard liberal states there, and that's and that's one segment of the population, but it's right. not it's not the majority. Yeah. So red states weren't there. Then. No, red states weren't there, and and many of them, you know, one common theme that I was chatting with people there is that a lot of these red states are actually doing things to address climate change, not because of climate change, but because it's actually creating jobs. And that's that's certainly the case with wind and solar. The prices of those energy resources are plummeting um, and they're creating a lot of jobs, especially on the wind side. Most of those jobs are in uh, Republican districts. So Mm -hmm. um, but you're definitely not going to have these Republicans going to a climate conference. Um, It's too political. I mean, climate change is political now. Right. I think that's a it's been something that has been the case for a while now. And so I think you're you're rarely going to see Republicans. I mean, I think Arnold Schwarzenegger was probably one of the only Republicans there, and he's not your typical Republican. Right. So on a worldwide scale, what is the impact of the United States pulling? Uh, uh, I, I would just have to say I'm not defending what Donald Trump did at all, I'm trying to put it in perspective. Um, I think it was a wrong decision and a dangerous decision for the planet. But on the worldwide perspective, what is the impact of the United States pulling out? Does the global effort to deal with climate change continue even without the United States? Oh, certainly. I think, you know, um, I think it it, it definitely doesn't help matters, right, that the U.S. pulled out. But I think every country so far, even the ones that I think some people were a little bit concerned were going to sort of sort of pull back a little bit like China and India. I think you're seeing China in particular see or, or taking some of this ground from the United States. They see this as a one of many geopolitical fronts that they want to lead on, right? I mean, they're they're dominating in most of the clean energy technology area. So they they don't they're not um bickering about whether or not climate change is real and they're seeing this as a, as a geopolitical opportunity. And I think I think the concern of some people is countries like India and others won't actually put on the table ambitious cuts. Now, let's remember the Paris deal is simultaneously incredibly important and symbolic and actually doesn't do anything, right? I mean, it doesn't require any cuts. Uh, The cuts that the countries have agreed to individually um, don't get us anywhere close to the two-degree limit. Um, the, the, The purpose of the deal is that eventually in the out year, so beginning next year, there needs to be discussion starting about how to put on tougher cuts, um, whereas in the United States, we're merely talking about whether or not the U.S. will actually pull out completely or if the U.S. will stay in the deal but just put in a lower target. So I think to what degree this has a substantive impact on the Paris climate deal, I think we'll see it more next year when the rubber really hits the road in terms of some hard decisions with the actual climate deal itself. Uh, Just to confirm one fact, now that Syria and Nicaragua have uh, signed the Paris Accords, we are the only nation on the planet? That's technically true, Uh, although I would say that, again, this is more symbolism than actual substance, right? I mean, if if a country torn over a civil war can join a climate deal, it probably doesn't require that much. Mm -hmm. Um, But that being said, I mean, symbolism is an important is an important thing Absolutely. in the particularly world of politics. On the, particularly on this issue. Uh, and Donald Trump keeps saying, I was there in the Rose Garden when, when uh, he announced pulling out of the Paris Accord. You might have been there too, but that um, we've got to do this because China's just building new coal plants every day, man. They're going fossil fuel crazy, coal crazy and everything. What, 
what's the reality with China? It's it's just the opposite, isn't it? Well, they are building a lot of coal plants. They're also building a lot of nuclear power plants. Are they so, building new coal plants? They're building less new coal plants than they were. So coal's future overall, the growth is slowing, but it's the absolute decline. So there's a difference between a, a sharp decline and a slowing growth. And that's what's happening with coal. I think in the U.S. you're seeing a decline and in other developed countries. But in places like China and India... Um, coal is still oftentimes the the But the isn't China tourists. investing a lot in solar and wind? Right. I mean, its energy demands are so great that they're going 100% across the board. Sure. So I think that's, you know, I did a, a series of stories about, you know, how China is um, the clear clean energy winner. I remember during the early years of the Obama administration, politicians would say, oh, we need to win. We need to beat China at the clean energy race. Well, China has won. But China's winning at all the races, um, including it. the coal race, um, if there was such a thing. Right. So I think uh, a lot of things with um, a lot of things in China are less efficient, right, than in the U.S. So. Some of these coal plants are being built because of contracts and they require and there may not be the, the transmission to, to get the energy to, to where it needs to be. So and they're also in some cases um, disassembling coal plants that are close to cities and simply mm-hmm. moving them out into the country. And mm-hmm. of course, that that clears up the local air pollution problem, which is a big issue in China, but it doesn't actually solve climate change. Because, I mean, I've seen a lot of stories of, of the massive new solar fields of solar panels that China's putting in, you know, they're, they're really, and, and also their commitment to electric cars is. Oh yeah. They're, I mean, they're, they're, um, just in the last year, the electric cars in, um, China has built more electric cars than the U S and it just flipped last year, 2016. Um, and also they're building a lot of solar, but a lot of this, um, electricity, the renewable electricity is not connected to the grid. So there's some more logistical challenges that China has. I, th- I, I tend to think that these are just temporary challenges. And I think China has, has, has obviously shown that it's effective at making cheap things, right? Everything we buy these days is made in China, um, including solar panels, right? And that's at the heart of a trade case um, in the solar industry. So China is going full steam ahead um, on all of these um, clean energy So back to the Paris Accords, um, I, as you said, it takes like, Three years, and then there's another year for the paperwork or something. Um, somebody has calculated um, that I saw so, someone calculated that that deadline then would hit just about the time of November 2020. Yeah, right? I think it's literally the day after the election. Day after the election, right? Yeah. So uh, if Donald Trump were to run for re-election and lose. And a Democrat or another Republican, but more likely a Democrat, who is a climate, who believes in the Paris Accords, it's quite possible that that final, final step of getting out of the Paris Accords would not happen. Well, no, I think it would happen because remember, the day after the election, it's just the lame duck. President Trump will still be president oh, right. on November Got it. Got it. whatever. Okay. So, but what happened for two months? Right. So I think what he would do, just like any, I suppose, outgoing lame duck president, is he would pull out of the deal and just create a lot right. of paperwork headaches for, for the next administration. For, yeah, for for a couple of months. So I think I think that would, you know, again, be yeah. more of a headache than an actual substantive change. But if yeah. he wins re-election. Uh, well then, remains. Yeah. To... We're we're in trouble for a lot of reasons, and not just the climate change reason. Um, you we've uh, you, you mentioned a couple of times uh, nuclear power, and I know you've written about this. Um, for Democrats, nuclear power has always been a tough issue, right? 
because, I mean, I took part in protests against nuclear power plants uh, in California. We stopped one in, in California, in uh, Sacramento, Rancho Seco, shut it down uh, just because the local people did not want that nuclear power plant in a field. I've been out there many times outside of Sacramento. Um, but at the same time, nuclear power is a lot cleaner than coal. So what do Democrats do about it? Right. I, or I, liberals or progressives do about it. I, the, the whole left side of the political spectrum. I mean, I I think it's, you know, the, the urgency of climate change is only going greater. And so, you know, there's been some reluctance, uh, reluctant acknowledgement that nuclear power should play some sort of a role, which is why you're seeing some politicians, um, you know, you had former Secretary John Kerry express um, cautious support for it. You have some Democrats in Congress, Senator um, Schatz from Hawaii was like saying, you know, we need to pursue anything that's low carbon and bipartisan, which nuclear power is one of the few technologies that fit that bill. But then you have others that, you know, cite the many challenges. I mean, there are a lot of problems and challenges face, facing nuclear power. There's, of course, the safety issues that it's just very expensive right now. What what do you the uh, final answer on the radioactive waste? But yeah, I think what do you do with the waste? They still the, haven't figured that out. Right. But, but I had a long conversation with James Hansen, um, the world renowned climate scientist on the sidelines of the Bonn Climate Conference. He was one of the many scientists who came out a few years ago to support it. And he you know, he's, you know, Democrats take as gospel his science on climate change, but then they ignore him on nuclear power, which to me is a little perplexing. Um, but but that's not to dismiss the serious challenges of nuclear power. But the way I see it is the people who aren't inclined to support it see nuclear see these challenges as a reason or an excuse not to not to try to support it. Whereas people who who think you need to have it as part of a solution, somebody like Senator Schatz. He's like, well, yes, there are these challenges. We need to we need to make sure to address them, and they see it more as a hurdle to overcome. So are it's a perspective any, issue. Are there any new nuclear power plants being built in this country today? Well, that's another thing. A conversation I had with Tom Steyer. You know, he rightly pointed out that the one that is being built by Southern Company in Georgia will have needed, you know, a twelve billion dollar loan guarantee, which, to be clear, um, is only would only cost the government that much money if the if the a reactor fails. But nonetheless, it's taken billions of dollars and many more years than people had anticipated to build. Now, I think the longer-term question is, is if there's going to be an advanced nuclear reactor industry here in the U.S. That means smaller reactors mm-hmm. um, that can be more flexible on the electricity grid and have safer ways of storing the waste and can better protect against nonproliferation. So um, there's a lot of question mark around that. There does seem to be more support for these advanced reactors that are not so big. So if in the case something something really bad happens, like a tsunami or something, that the the but impact would not be quite as large. There's also the NIMBY problem, which is uh, which is something that afflicts everything. I mean, the Keystone XL pipeline is right. at its very heart a NIMBY problem. All right, Keystone. What's the latest on Keystone? Just a couple minutes left. Yeah, yeah. you know, I think I've covered that that darn pipeline from the very beginning. And I wonder yeah. if it will ever end. So, you know, we're at yet another turn in the road. Um, the a, a local commission in Nebraska approved it, but required an alternate route. Now, let's not forget. This is like the alternate route to the alternate route to the alternate route. There's been dozens and dozens of routes that have been examined in this part of just this one stretch in Nebraska. So I think it's to be determined if it will ever be built. The company itself, TransCanada. Part of it's built, correct? Oh, right. Most of I would say the southern half of it is built. It's built. Where Um, was this big leak last week? It was in a different it was in the original Keystone Pipeline. 
There's oh. a reason. There's the Keystone XL and then Keystone. Now that certainly was, you know, it, it's it's a reminder of the the risks we all carry by using fossil fuels. I would say though that pipelines are far and away the safest way to transport oil. Really? Oh yeah, way safer. Safer than, than trains? Oh, incredibly much much more safer than trains. And definitely safer than than trucks. But there's not there's there's not a pipeline that will that is rupture proof, right? Or no, and there's always risks um, with any type of um, transportation of anything. Ethanol also um, is can be flammable, for example, on trains. So I think um, there's risks with everything. I think what a lot of these environmentalists in Nebraska and other places. They're, that's not really what they're arguing. What they're arguing is we need to get off fossil fuels because of climate change. Governor Brown um, from California, I found this somewhat um, humorous. <laughs> they, there were some protesters of him at the conference, and they were saying keep it in the ground, which is the same people about climate change. Mm-hmm. Governor Brown said, he's like, well, let's keep you in the ground so we can continue on with the program. Nonetheless, that upset the environmentalists. <laughs> well, uh, Jerry Brown, whom I work for and who's still a good friend, has a way of words with words, right? Uh, he also approved fracking in California, which upset a lot of people, too. Yeah, yeah that's a whole nother, whole nother talk. All right. Amy, so good to see you and catch up on these important issues. You can follow Amy at Axios.com. John Allen, this coming up next. is the Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now, do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Well, you can add Charlie Rose and Glenn Thrush to the list. The list keeps growing. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say on a Tuesday, November 21? Uh, the Bill Press Show coming to you live from Washington, D.C. Great to see you today. Thank you so much for joining us. Are we ready to uh, jump into tackle the big news stories of the day with all of you, wherever you happen to be in this great land of ours? We join you from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., uh, so much going on. Such a big news day leading into Thanksgiving that we needed some help today. And we got it uh, with our good friend John Allen from, uh, I know, he changes jobs a lot. Uh, now NBC News uh, here in studio with Ouch. us. Ouch. Uh, no, uh, that's a good thing. People keep seeing your talents and they keep, you know, you're going, climbing the ladder. Sure. NBC News. John Allen, how are you? I'm good. How are you? All right. It's good to see you. You you, you know, you don't get as dressed up for, for our show as you do when I see you on the tube here. So, you know, you look so distinct. Well, I need makeup on television, unlike, <laughs> unlike some of my friends in the studio. No, uh, don't we all? But um, we'll, we'll talk about this, but the, the list does keep growing. Overnight, Charlie Rose, Glenn Thrush, John Conyers, senior member of the uh, House of Representatives, there's rumors this morning about yet another member of Congress, a Republican member of Congress. We have, this is this is a tidal wave, John. 
Yeah, and I I don't expect that it's gonna um, you know fully hit the beach for for quite a while. <laughs> yeah, um, I think there are going to be a lot of of rafts and uh, and surfboards and bodies <laughs> like yeah. pile up on the. But but look, I mean, I think the, the important thing to remember is that uh, that for each of the men that we're seeing uh, accused of these things, there are women who have suffered uh, for years, and yeah. so I mean, I, yeah. you know, I, I don't think we should lose focus on that and i you know sort of broadly more importantly um you know you hope that something good comes of this you know uh i think you know i grew up in the shadow of the clarence thomas hearings and i think that you know from a workplace perspective any guy that's that went through that and doesn't believe you know that they i don't know need to act perfectly appropriately in the workplace um is is you know lying yeah. Right, like that they like they were somehow unaware that the rules had changed. I mean, that's you know that's ridiculous. Absolutely. Um, Let's just hold that yeah. thought right there because I want to give Jamie a chance here. Uh, but you can see where we're going here with John Allen. We want to hear from you also. We got our little poll going as we finished it by now. So Jamie will tell us all about it. Uh, send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show. But first. This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories for you on this Tuesday morning. Uh, John, Bill. Yes. You guys excited to talk about Donald Trump at Thanksgiving dinner on Thursday? You know what? Uh, I'm having Thanksgiving dinner with my family up in Delaware. Mm. We are not going to talk politics. Things should get interesting up there in Delaware. No, they're not going to get interesting. A new poll from PBS NewsHour, NPR, and Marist found that 58% of Americans are dreading talking politics at their (laughs) Thanksgiving dinner. 31% said they're actually eager to talk about Donald Trump and the dysfunction going on in our political system, while 11% said that they were unsure. Among U.S. adults, 43% said such conversations about Trump are, quote, interesting and informative. Hmm. Like to talk to some of those 43%, while another 47% said they are, quote, stressful and frustrating. I think as a rule... Um, not talking politics at Thanksgiving dinner is probably a, a good rule. There's always going to be the <laughs> in season and out of season. The crazy aunt and her uncle that they want to rile things up and and you know get get the opinion from the millennials and then a whole the whole argument will just will just go up in flames. It's it uh, there's going to be a lot of difficult Thanksgiving dinners this year. I'm not an uncle or an aunt, but I obsessively talk about politics. So. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, oh. oh, All right, one quick story here. Fox News Channel host Janine Pirro. Uh, has been oh, issued I love it. a speeding ticket for driving yeah. 119 miles an hour <laughs> in a 65-mile-an-hour zone in upstate New York. So, Bill, John, I have uh, just one clip to play here for Janine. Some uh, some advice from, from Janine Pirro. I actually said it. Lock her up. Yep, there you go. <laughs> Get it done. <laughs> Radio, on TV, and online. This is the Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. Uh, the names uh, on the list keep uh, growing. Uh, the latest, uh, Charlie Rose, uh, and uh, uh, Charlie Rose, of course, of Charlie Rose and CBS. Uh, Glenn Thrush from the New York Times, uh, and uh, Congressman John Conyers from Michigan. Hello, everybody. It is the Bill Press Show on a Tuesday, November 21, uh, coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our studio on Capitol Hill right here in our nation's capital. 
with uh, John Allen joining us from NBC News as a friend of Bill for this entire hour. And we're reaching you, of course, on every platform we can find to uh, get in touch with you and to join you online, online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, on television, on Free Speech TV, and on the great WCPT out in the greater Chicago area. Um, Chicago so, land. Chicago land. Thank you for thank you for joining us. You know, uh, we'll get back into the sexual harassment thing for uh, in just a minute here, uh, John, but... Uh, Maybe the most interesting story of the day for you and me is LeVar Ball uh, and Donald Trump. I mean, Donald Trump finally met his match in LeVar Ball, hasn't he? Do you think? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, don't the two of them deserve each other almost? I mean, you could not make up this celebrity feud. No, it, uh, it is great. I love it. So LeVar Ball goes on CNN with, of course, Let's back up, right? He's the father of the two sons, Loangelo and... Leangelo and Lonzo. And Lonzo. Leangelo was the one who was in China, caught right. stealing yes. at a Louis Vuitton store. Which, by the way, is a terrible idea. Uh, yes. If yeah. you're if you're traveling in China, North Korea, <laughs> Singapore, like, yeah. just yeah. abide by the law. Just yeah, wait till you get back to L.A. There's right. a Louis Vuitton store there. On be- on Rod- <laughs> that easy. No, Rodeo Drive yeah. would have been easy to find, but, right? But, but the yeah. Louis Vuitton uh, store in L.A., the product probably wasn't made locally. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. So anyhow. And by the way, Lonzo Ball, the older brother, is a rookie for the Los Angeles Lakers in the NBA. A slightly right. underperforming uh, can't-miss superstar. And so then his father is a total egomaniac. And... So the kids get picked up for shoplifting, and and Donald Trump hears about this, so he talks to President Xi about getting them free. And Donald Trump is upset then because the father has not gone out of his way to thank him more profusely for bringing his son home. So Alvar Ball goes out, goes on CNN with uh, Chris Cuomo uh, last evening, uh, and he 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 talks about. Um, uh, well, let's, uh, why, why he should be thanking Donald Trump. Here he is. If he said he helped, that's good for his mind. What do you mean good for I his mean, mind? I mean, why I even got to say that? If you help, you shouldn't have to say anything. If you help, you shouldn't have to. If I help somebody, I don't walk around saying, you know, I help you now. <laughs> come on now, you give me some love. I helped you. <laughs> Man, come on, for real. But he does point out that the kids, if I can call them that, the three <laughs> ball players. They had been released from jail. They were back in a hotel at the Hyatt Regency Hotel with the rest of the team before Donald Trump even heard about it. So it was good of him to speak up, but he can't claim credit for getting them out of jail. Yeah, I wonder if there's any like sort of immunity that goes along with being a traveling basketball team. I mean, if I was if I was G, I would have thought of like, all right, here's the deal: uh, you're sentenced to hard labor on our basketball team <laughs> for, the, <laughs> for the next Olympics. Right. I, I, I mean, I, I've got so many thoughts on this. So, first of all, uh, any American president uh, would do would do the same. Um, and second of all, like, I'm not even sure that that's the right thing to do. <laughs> I mean, I I don't know. Like they they, they it's well, not like they broke a law that's a ridiculous law. Like no, you're not supposed to shoplift. No. But at the same time, clearly China didn't want to make this an international issue. They'd already decided these guys, these kids were going home, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. No, there was like they were no. like whatever, not yeah. a big deal. Yeah. Right. They should be kicked off the basketball team and possibly expelled from the university, but it won't happen because of who Leangela Ball's father is. So. That, that's my take on it. Yes, they should have been released. They should have been sent back to the U.S. 
But to do something that they boneheaded been, and what, stupid, been, get kicked off the team. They've been, they have been kicked off the team, haven't they? I don't think so. I thought at least suspended. I wasn't aware. So, somebody I, I believe. Said, Check it out. Somebody but, said to me the other day that LeVar Ball reminds them of Venus and Serena Williams' dad. And oh. I was like, yes, except for his children have talent. <laughs> but also, uh, their their dad is a little more contained, right? A little more. Yes. A, yes. A, a, oh no, he's not. Yeah, no. But he's not Lavar Ball, right? Is, is, is ego that big? I don't know. I I I have a pretty good feeling about him. No, I mean he just drove his daughter's hard. Yeah, he, no, he did. But I'm I mean, not saying it's an apt comparison. In fact, I'm saying it's not an apt comparison oh, okay. because yeah. his kids. Yes. Are incredible. Yeah, and he's also not the glory hound that Donald Trump and Lavar Ball are. I was but setting up a straw man and knocking it down. Lavar Ball also <laughs> made a point last night, though, about this is again, again Donald Trump saying it's all about me, 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 me. You didn't thank me enough, and he actually said I should have left them in jail. Right. right. I, again, they were already out of jail, Donald. Uh, so here's Lavar Ball making, I think, a valid point. I'm just stating the point that I'm saying is there's a lot of other things that's going on. No man. question about let it. Let him do his political affairs and let me handle my son and let's just stay in our lane. <laughs> let's stay in our own lane. <laughs> I think that's pretty good, right? Yeah, no, I mean, Lamar Ball, like, uh, you know, philosopher, peacemaker. <laughs> it's amazing. As Jamie was saying this morning, he used to hate the guy and now he loves him. Right? Yeah, no, I'm I'm team Lavar Ball. I'm team Big Baller Brand. That's as the name of Lavar Ball's company. As soon as Lavar Ball. Give me a pair Ball of BBB came, shoes. As soon as Lavar Ball came out against Donald Trump. Jamie Benson became a LeVar Ball fan. Yeah, yeah. I, Bill, by the way, I stand corrected. Oh, These yeah. three players uh, that were caught shoplifting have been suspended indefinitely. But I guarantee you they will be back on the team before March. No, right about NCAA right. tournament time. That's right. Yeah, yeah. No, right. Exactly. Um, so um, the White House finally ripped off the mask a little bit uh, in terms of Alabama yesterday, John. Uh, it was Kellyanne Conway who got a surprisingly tough grilling from Fox and Friends, of all places, yeah, uh, yesterday morning. Uh, Brian Kilmeade and Steve Ducey and Ainsley Earhart, right? Uh, actually, one after Kellyanne, they kind of got, I think, tired of the line of, uh, um, we're neutral in uh, Alabama. It's just up to the people of Alabama to decide, or which is almost a defense of Roy Moore. So here's um, how that little exchange went. And with a, uh, they, they, they forced Kellyanne out of the woodwork here. Doug Jones in Alabama, folks, don't be fooled. He'll be a vote against tax cuts. So vote Roy Moore? I'm telling you that we want the votes in, in, the, in the Senate to get this tax, this tax bill through. There it is, right? Yeah, no, there's a, I mean, there's a, uh, there's a conflict of interest between uh, the Republican Party in Washington uh, that existed before Donald Trump and uh, the Donald Trump Republican Party, and that conflict is the larger Republican Party wants uh, the best thing for the larger Republican Party, which is to not have Roy Moore potentially infect other Senate races heading into the midterms, and the uh, the best thing for the Donald Trump Republican Party is to get his tax bill through. So, I mean, I think this is, um, you know, there's a lot around this and surrounding it, but it all boils down to a sort of basic uh, conflict in the interest between the two wings of the Republican Party. Well, it's interesting because nobody wants a tax bill, more, well, I would say, next to Donald Trump, the person who's been t- saying, this is our goal, we need this, the whole thing. Mitch McConnell, uh, particularly, also Paul Ryan, Republican leadership is saying, tax bill, we need it, we need it, we need it. 
And yet, they're, at the same time, they're saying, we don't want anything to do with Roy Moore, where Donald Trump is saying, tax bill, tax bill, tax bill. And if it takes Roy Moore to get it, we want Roy Moore. I think Mitch McConnell understands that the fate of the tax bill uh, is um, in tremendous question to begin with. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Roy Moore potentially destroys the majority that makes Mitch McConnell the majority leader. Um, and this is not – these aren't easy decisions. But it, when push comes to shove, I think he thinks Moore is more deleterious over, over time than, than it's worth having him for the vote. And by the way – uh, Roy Moore has uh, spent his entire career thumbing his nose at uh, at the establishment uh, and wh- whomever the establishment is, regardless of their ideology, there's no guarantee that Roy Moore is going to be helpful to Mitch McConnell in any way, shape, or form other than getting the tax bill and, in fact, is likely to attack Mitch McConnell as he has been doing. He says, stay out of Alabama, Mitch McConnell. Um just a small note, side note, Mitch McConnell is actually from Alabama originally. He's a Kentucky senator, but he was born in Alabama oh, and raised there until he was seven or eight years old. Oh, really? And now he has to hear from all these Alabama people telling him to stay out of their state. Whoa. You know, that would uh, hurt me if I was from a state. <laughs> right. It probably hurt. I mean, I am from a state. I'm from Maryland originally. Yeah. If Maryland was like, stay out, I'd be like, what up? what's up with that? Yeah. Um, there, I, I, for some reason, I'm on the Roy Moore email list, so I get his emails, and if you read his emails, and I get three a day from him raising for raising money, right? He's running. He's not running against Doug Jones. He's running against Mitch McConnell. Every one is he, the last one I saw was because of Mitch McConnell. Doug Jones is getting two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year. Right. Again, he blames that on Mitch McConnell. He and it's, Steve Bannon are running against Mitch McConnell. Yes, indeed. It's a duo. Yeah, it, it is. And you would be, it would be hard to imagine that Roy Moore in any way could come to Washington, assuming he were to get elected, and vote for Mitch McConnell as majority. He will not do that. There, yeah. I mean, so yeah. I actually yeah. was in Alabama last week, Whoa. and I wrote a piece to your point that Roy Moore's entire campaign is now oh, really? <laughs> Mitch McConnell. Uh, but the the idea is to create a common so enemy. you credit, but. <laughs> no, no, that's, uh, yeah. but create a common enemy and. Uh, rally people around the idea that the that Mitch McConnell and I mean this is the the sort of interesting thing that's happened with the Trump uh, the Trump presidency and the fact that it is such an outsider agent to the Republican Party is you know these people have uh, have come in and they they then had to find something to run against an, an establishment to run against so what they chose was Mitch McConnell and the Senate Republican leadership even though they're on the you know at least ostensibly on the same team. Um, you know, in Alabama, as you point out, Roy Moore is running against Washington, and he's running against Mitch McConnell, and he says, "Stay out of Alabama." Which, and then the, the White House echoes that and says, "We're going to let them decide." Which is, you mm-hmm. know, if you go back historically, I mean, you know, generationally, uh, Southern Deep South states want the federal government to stay out of their business. Uh, first, it was yeah. slavery, and then it was civil rights, and. Um, you know, and now you're seeing that that rhetoric. This is not the same thing, but you're seeing that same sort of rhetoric used. And, and it's, it's a rhetoric that has a resonance, I think, in that state, uh, uh, maybe in any state. Right? Is uh, let us decide. Right? Leave it up to us. We're not dumb. We're not stupid. I hear this all the time. You know, people I debate uh, uh, on television. But having been in Alabama, uh, a couple of questions: Do you think it's a it's a done deal that Roy Moore is going to win this election? No, I don't. 
Do you think Doug Jones could win? Yes. Um, I think that you've got basically three camps of voters. You've got the hardcore Roy Moore supporters. Um, you've got Democrats in the state who, by the way, are not a, you know, not a tiny, tiny minority. I mean, this is a state that's uh, heavily African-American. It's got uh, some big and growing cities. You've had a lot of move uh, from the north into Alabama. And so you've got new mayor in Birmingham, right? New, yeah. new mayor in Birmingham. So you, you've got a, a Democratic core there. Um, there with Doug Jones. And then you've got this third group of Republicans who uh, weren't comfortable with, let's say this, didn't uh, choose Roy Moore in the primary process, um, but want to vote Republican and are now sort of confused as to what to do. Um, I think, you know, some of them believe the women and are and still have some doubt in the back of their mind. And some of them don't believe the women and have some doubt in the back of their mind. And so what you're going to see is this you know, I don't know, 15, 20 percent of the Republican Party, what they do will determine the outcome. If most of them show up and vote for Roy Moore, uh, he'll win. If uh, most of them show up and uh, vote for Doug Jones, he'll win. And if a lot of them stay home, it's going to be a very close race on election night. Um, Will, if Roy Moore wins, will he ever serve in the United States Senate? I believe so. You don't think they'll eject him? I don't think they will eject him. Here's the thing, Bill. The, we have a system. And then how do they go into 2018 with this pedophile pervert among their ranks and defend him? Uh, I think they'll have to, to try to calibrate what the strategy is going to be. But, the you know, I think, you know, once somebody has been elected by the people of their state to come to the United States Senate, um, it, it is uh, a sort of a, a high bar. Um, maybe an impossibly high bar to choose not to seat them without some sort of election challenge or to expel them. Um, the, the, you know, it's not that it couldn't happen, but the bar is extremely high. I mean, we're talking historically, we're talking like treason. No, it's been since 1862, I believe, was the last time, which was treason, civil war. It was a, a Indiana senator, I forget his name now, who was pro civil, pro South. I mean, can you imagine if, if President Trump or any other president got a 66-seat majority in the or 67-seat majority in the Senate and said they didn't like what the Senate was doing, so let's just expel the minority party? Right? I mean, there's a reason that that they don't this do this very this often. Would be, but this we would be, be a banana republic. This would be the majority party expelling one of their own. I understand. I, I'm yeah. not saying I'm not saying that it can't happen. I'm just saying that I think the bar for that is pretty high. Well, if that's the case, I do I I do look forward to seeing the defense that Republicans come up with because you know every Republican running for any office in the land will be asked about Roy Moore. Absolutely. And whether, and they will say something to the effect of uh, the people I, of Alabama have spoken. Yeah, or they won't put it that way. They'll they'll even say, I don't like serving with Roy Moore. I don't think you know, I don't think the people you know, in my view the people of Alabama shouldn't have elected them, but that's not my choice. I can only deal with the state that I'm in. And then my response would be Lots of luck keeping the majority in the House and the Senate. You lose, lose, lose. Right. I mean, I the, the allegations against Roy Moore Roy, will take them all down with them. The allegations against Roy Moore are so, so bad because you're talking about children. Yes. Um, right. Or at the you know one fourteen year old, uh, which is one fourteen year old too many. Um, that's not something where you go, well, you know, maybe there's a, a second chance here. Or, you know what I mean? Like you. Yeah. Of of all the vulnerable people, 
uh, a 14 year old girl who who went on television the other day and said, but, you know, she was expecting you know candles and and roses and you know I mean, yeah, yeah, right. And that just speaks to how vulnerable um, she was at that at that point in her life and and all people of that age. I mean, you know. And any doubts about her credibility or about the veracity of her story after we saw her on television, gone. I mean, she came across. There's as no a, doubt about her credibility, yeah, and yeah. I mean, as it turns out, you know, Roy, Roy Moore. I was reading a piece the other day. Apparently, Roy Moore first noticed his wife when she was a 15 year old at a dance recital. Mm-hmm. Come on, yeah. Uh, right. That's how, you know. That's a problem. <laughs> uh, that. <laughs> Yes, that is a problem. Um, I want to ask you also, well, while we're on that topic, just I don't want to spend all, all day long on the sexual harassment thing, but uh, <laughs> how serious is it for um, Al Franken? How serious is it for Charlie Rose, for Glenn Thresh? Serious. I mean, for in, in all of these cases, they are all different cases. Um, you know, there are different ends of the spectrum from – since we were talking about uh, LiAngelo Ball, from shoplifting to you know armed robbery and murder, right, um, right, you know, and and so uh, you know there will probably be different sort of consequences for that. Um, you know, this morning, uh, I think it was thirty cast and crew from Saturday Night Live wrote a letter in support of women, uh, wrote a letter in support of Al Franken, um, saying that he had you know treated them well in their their work with him. Um, as did many women who worked with him in the Senate. But at the same time, you do have the second woman who came forward yesterday, the Minnesota State Fair, a a photo taken in 2010 when he was a United States senator. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no explanation that amounts to an excuse, right? I mean, like, he he did... Yeah, bad stuff. Is, and, it, is it a fireable offense for the United States Senate? I mean, I guess we'll see. Um, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't know what ends up happening. Uh, the, you know, the. I think right now the question of appropriate consequences is one that we're sort of as a society wrestling with a little yeah. bit. And I don't. I, I mean, I'd answer your question. But I you know, say, also, I would say no. Also, we're both but, guys. Yeah, you know, and our yeah, perspective yeah. is probably Absolutely. colored by that, and right. um, you know, so. But as I said earlier, every crime m- maybe it's the, not the guys that should be for, making the decisions about right. this stuff. Now, <laughs> good point, but my, my point is every the punishment for every crime is not the death penalty, right? Sort of the point you made too. There is a range. Uh, Al Franken is not Roy Moore, right? He's, Al Franken is not Roy. He's Moore. He's not Donald is, Trump. Is not Harvey Weinstein, or you know, yeah. I mean, or or Bill Clinton. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, for that matter. I mean, these are all these are all different and and it's fair to group them together because there is uh, you know, a commonality of uh of sexual impropriety and of abuse of power uh and those things are sort of intermingled in ways that, you know, probably take psychologists to uh to totally explain. Right. Um, I mean, I think some of that stuff but, is the scary stuff, the retribution, the uh, you know, with, you know, Hurting people's careers, the allegations of uh, of bad mouthing women, uh, you know, I mean, that stuff is, uh, in some cases, well, it's a big part of the story that I think is somewhat but, lost in the sexual impropriety. Yeah, I mean, you made the point earlier. It's sort of like we are now. I mean, this has certainly been going on a long time. It's wrong across the board. 
it's something that people have sort of looked the other way or, or just ignored for a long time, even though there have been warning signs every once in a while, right? But maybe starting with Roger Ailes and then cascading to Harvey Weinstein and then since then, it's almost like, as I say, we're almost doing a, a graduate seminar on sexual harassment as a nation, right? And learning how to, how big it is, how, how widespread it is, how bad it is, and how to end, how to deal with it, how the accuser should deal with it, like the difference between an Al Franken and a Roy Moore, and how we as a society should respond to it. Well, look, I, I was just talking to someone I respect a lot right before I came on the show who said that, uh, said that for women, this isn't a graduate seminar on sexual harassment. This is, for women, this is something that has been clear and obvious and talked about and discussed, and there have been efforts to change behavior and change men's behavior, and uh, that it is men who are going, oh, my goodness, and kind of maybe wanting to go, oh, my goodness. You know, we're, we're but, surprised, yes. but we right. shouldn't be shocked. because. Right. And, I mean, and as men who have not listened to them and have ignored them and have put them down and in some cases punished them because they were did come forward, but, you know, also in the Charlie Rose story this morning, as as with, I think, Roger Ailes and others, there have also been women who knew what was going on, who, deci- who, who did not act. They knew women in power, women in positions of power, who knew what was going on in their company, and they, they did not. Women went to, you know, young women who'd been harassed went to them. So it's, they're it's, in a particularly awful all of us. They're in a particularly awful position. Yeah, yeah. Right, because they are also making decisions about their careers. Right, they've advanced to a certain point, and they're making decisions about whether or not they and, call out the boss. Right, which right. Will probably result call out a boss who, by the way, is taking vindictive and ret- retributive action against people who make claims, and they've known is doing that. So they're in a bad place. Yeah. So Jamie, that gets us to our uh, poll here. Wrap it up. Uh, that we've been on Twitter for the we last We do have the final hours. results okay. of the of the poll. Let me pull and, it up here. And the question again was? The question was, should Senator Al Franken resign from Congress? This was posed yesterday morning during the show. Poll closing just a few minutes ago as they last about 24 hours on Twitter.com. Should, Al, should Senator Al Franken resign? 66% of you. Final results say no. 23% of you say yes. Significant. 11% of you say only if there are more victims. Now, again, we noted earlier in the show, uh, we think that the final results, we, we would have seen a higher percentage of no, probably closer the to 80%. The poll started during the show yesterday before number two came out. Right. So I think the tide turned a bit. What happens if, there, if there's a third or a fourth? You know, do, do, do the calls um, become louder for Senator Al Franken to resign? Okay. Uh, Joe Sirianni is going to be joining us very shortly here, our foreign policy guru to talk North Korea and nuclear power and lots of other important stuff with me and uh, John Allen. John, before we take that break, um, anybody who thought the Russian investigation had gone away, Robert Mueller has gone away, um, now we find that Jared Kushner may be in hot water again for uh, some WikiLeaks emails. What's going on? Uh, It's not going away, is it? It's not going away, and um, we are finding that uh, the FBI does not take kindly on uh, omission. <laughs> it's not just oh, yeah. the, it's not just the active lies that the FBI doesn't like. It's also that they don't like omission, and congressional committees, uh, as it turns yeah. out, don't, don't like, like omission, meaning things you forgot to file. 
or, yeah, like, or things you forgot to give us. I mean, this is what is answers it, you forgot to tell us. What is astounding is that uh, everybody knew about the sensitivity of Russia at the time of the transition, at the time of the nomination hearings that Jeff Sessions went through, and all of these people conveniently forgot, lost, or could not find all of their contacts with Russia. So the question becomes. Were they hiding things because of the political sensitivity, or were they hiding things uh, because uh, they were guilty? And or, or neither they one, were because they were just naive, as one. Uh, yeah, but I mean, at the very least, they were sensitive to the politics of connections with Russia. By the time, uh, yeah. by the time everybody yeah. was paying attention to. Uh, to, yeah. for instance, the Sessions hearings. And, there was a and, lot of talk about Russia. Right. Yeah. So they were sensitive. They were politically sensitive to it. At the very least, they sought to hide things about Russia because they were politically sensitive to it. I mean, I think we can draw that conclusion. At the very most, they were actually colluding to try to affect the election. Um, I, my view is still and will remain that there were larger factors in this election than Russian interference. Right. Um, I mean, I, you know, unless I, I see voting... Booths right. changed, and you know, if you're hit with Russian propaganda about how Hillary Clinton is evil and it changes your vote uh, because somebody, one of your friends, forwarded to you on Facebook, like you're you're in a very, very, very small minority of people, and you're going to vote for against her anyway, right? Yeah, that's but, my that's but my. But this is not this is final. This is not Jared Kushner. The first time he has failed to reveal something, isn't this at least the third that things have come out that? Kushner? Yeah, it's yeah over and over and over again. Right, right. Uh, so. Um, the, the, those in the White House who think that this investigation is winding down and will soon be over, uh, <clears throat> I think, for um, are just. It turns out that Hillary Clinton was not the only person with emails. Yeah, that might have been a road that the locker up crowd did not want to completely right. go down. Yeah, let's have an investigation. All right, we'll take a quick break. I Just... actually said it. Lock her up. <laughs> there you go, Janine Pirro. 119 mile an hour, Janine Pirro. Uh, <laughs> Joe Rizzioni, uh he goes about that fast every day, coming from the Palacios Fund. Coming in to join us here on the Bill Press Show. Stay with us, and we'll be right back. Let him do his political affairs, and let me handle my son, and let's just stay in our lane. Follow us on Twitter, at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Make it a Tuesday, November 21, and here we are on the Bill Press Show live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, gathered around the table here with all of you. Uh, John Allen from NBC News, a crack political reporter, uh, and joining us, crack foreign policy expert, <laughs> Uh, from the Plowshares Fund, Joe Sirincioni, who is looking particularly dapper today because he is wearing a hand-woven Carol Press rayon chenille scarf, one I of my get, favorites, I Joe. I get a lot of compliments on this. I wore it yesterday, and, and people were stopping me. Basically, even before they felt it to see how soft it was. So you can, you can wear good. it more than once between washes, is that the... <laughs> I, I wear it constantly. In fact, I decided I need another one. Did I miss the wow. open house? You did miss the open ah. house. It was last weekend, but you can, you're welcome to come at any time, or Joe and you all can, and Joe, you should tell your friends who compliment the scarf to go to 
carolpressscarves.com is her website, carolpressscarves.com. Or if you go to billpressshow.com, follow the link to Carol Press well, Scarves, that, and there you are. That is how I ordered my first one. So yeah. I'll just do it And again. lots of colors, as you know, yeah. lots of colors and patterns to choose from. I and, want something uh, cranberry. I'm looking for cranberry now. Oh, we've blue. got cranberry. I bet you do. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Bill, you're lucky that uh, Joe remembered his scarf. Where's yours this morning? <laughs> well, I, 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 <laughs> hi, Carol. <laughs> hi, Carol. Hey, Monty, uh, if you could, Monty, just take a break. Take a quick break. On my jacket hanging here. In All right. Okay. It's a nice scarf. Right. You can bring it in, and I'll put it on. Okay. No, I'm not kidding. This is the nicest scarf I, just I don't own, ha- and I'm, I know I'm going to lose it eventually, so I have to have to get another one. All right. As so, insurance policy. Back uh, to the real Joe, world. Okay? Back to the real world. Elephants. Elephants. How oh, did... I didn't know that was in my purview. As for, But it is, right? It's foreign policy. It's security. Okay, let's go. Elephants. All right. So we know that Donald Trump has reversed a lot of actions taken by the Obama administration and the George W. Bush administration. But Friday, he reversed an action taken by his own administration just a couple of days earlier, where Interior Department, with the blessing of the White House, came out and said, we can go back to trophy hunting of elephants in Africa because that's going to help save the elephant population. And Donald Trump, two days later, tweets out and says, BS, I can't believe that story. Yeah. This is a horror show, and I'm putting that action on hold, and I'm going to make a final decision this week that we're in now. This week hasn't done so yet. But what happened? Well, I'll show you what that, what that means is that public pressure works, that public opinion matters. Even for this president, even someone who is so cut off from reality as this president, uh, when there's an up surge of opinion, it gets to him, and that's what happened. Conservation groups, environmental groups, uh, kids groups, moms groups, everybody started criticizing this bombarding. Wait, 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 wait. what about fabulously wealthy Manhattanites <laughs> who have, I mean, like yep. this is a pet issue uh, for, not not to make a pun, this is a pet issue for Chelsea Clinton. I mean, th- okay. it is interesting to me. So that, you got to his peer group. I mean, who right. is for killing elephants other than his son? Well, sons. 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 No, wait, 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 wait. John's about to get cynical on this. So, uh, this matters because his set, his, his social peer group set put pressure ma- on him. Mattered. That's what I think the public pressure that matters is, is actually his peer group. And also, I mean, it, it's interesting. This is an issue that, uh, as I'm sure you can attest to, because uh, it's been talked about a lot by people who are against killing elephants, there is a national security element to this. You've got warlords who uh, traffic in this stuff and make the money. But, but... The- but it should also be noted that um, this is not a kitchen table issue for most Americans. Right. On either side. This is not something where uh, you sit down with your family at dinner and you well, talk about how you're going to get the budget done. And you go, wait a second, we have to save the African elephants. Or wait a second, I want to go trophy hunting in Africa. I understand your cynicism. However... People love elephants. I know. I people mean, love is, elephants. This yeah. is a front page story. They're cute. I, they're cuddly. I, I actually think that in a lot of kitchens, I know what you mean. This isn't a life and death. This isn't how am I going to you know, pay the gas bill kind of issue. But uh, it is something that people care about. Like they care about it, kit, it, kitten it, videos. It's they care about one, elephants. This is one of those issues. In 99% of those kitchens, everybody would agree. <laughs> That well, is also, wrong. That yes. is wrong to to do Agreed. trophy hunting of elephants. Agreed. And also, There's, we all read Babar growing up. There you the, go. The right. elephant whose whose oh, mother oh, was oh, killed by a, a hunter. But also, I want to point out that there are other peers who came after Donald <laughs> Trump true. on this. Michael Savage. Yeah. 
Uh, Laura Ingram, conservative yeah, Laura Ingram. media. Right, I don't uh, get this, she says. Right. right, as well as liberal media. I mean, so it was across the board condemnation. It? But I learned yesterday there was one other player here, yeah. very important player, Eric Trump's wife, Laura Trump. I know from an excellent source who was with her, she talked to Donald <laughs> Trump and said, what the hell did you do? And Trump now says he didn't realize this had to happen until he read about it in the newspaper or saw it on the well, news. Well, that's believable. Yeah. <laughs> Actually. But she so. talked to him and said, you know, this is crazy. So Why did you do this? He finally did and something that went too far, huh? For Even his for his own family. For his daughter-in-law. So it's okay. a little family feud here. Okay. You know Donald Trump Jr., okay. I'm sure, was behind this move, I mean, to your the point, original move. To your point, Bill, nobody, nobody – Except for a very small minority of trophy hunters who want to go kill yeah. exotic, yeah. Uh, endangered animals, think that it's all right to to go yeah. on, you know, go but shoot elephants and bring back see, their tails, and right. their tusks. Did you see yeah. this morning? Though they're suing now. Oh, really? Trump. They're going. The, these big game hunters are going to sue Donald Trump. Yeah, lots of luck with that. Uh, I think they're. Uh, I, I uh, um, ran into um, Wayne Pacelli, who's head of the Humane Society of America, yesterday, and he said. There's something like 42, 43 countries on the planet where there's still elephants in the wild, and only two or three allow trophy hunting. So, I mean, this has basically yeah. been condemned worldwide, right? And these are yes. Zim- Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe and Zaire are two yeah. of the countries where you can still do it. That's Zimbabwe, I mean, they've they've got some problems. Yeah. yeah. I would like to add some late-breaking elephant news from oh. here in the United States. Whoa. Three African elephants were rescued from a tractor-trailer fire in Georgia early this morning, and they were safe. All right. Thank you very much. Some good elephant news. Breaking news yeah. on the Bill Press <laughs> Show. Okay. Which President Trump will likely take credit for yeah. in the next Go 30 say, seconds yeah. on You know Twitter. what? <laughs> if, wait. If they don't thank the president, he'll put them, he'll yeah. put them back in the truck. <laughs> the reason they're here in the first place. <laughs> By the way, I, t- I right. turned on oh. Dumbo recently for my kids. <laughs> Disney, yes. Disney it's could. the worst movie. I've, I mean, it is awful. Like, they're abusing the elephants. You've got these, like, yeah. stereotype mm. characters. It, it is, like, really profoundly awful. But what did you think when you were four and you saw it for the first time? I don't remember. <laughs> Can we move I don't on? remember being okay, we're taking being... the elephant okay, conversation farther than I wanted to take it right now. <laughs> thank you. Donald Trump yesterday said, we're going to go back and uh, certify, call North Korea a supporter of terrorism. Today, the United States is designating North Korea as a state sponsor of terrorism. Should have happened a long time ago. Should have happened years ago. Uh, it did happen years ago, didn't as it? As it turns out, Donald, yes, it happened years ago. Until? The, when the North Koreans were seriously sponsors of terrorism, and they had uh, shot down a civilian airliner and killed over 280 people on the eve of the Olympics in South Korea. This was in 1987. They shot down a, a blew up, not shot down, blew up or sabotage uh, a, a South Korean airliner. And President Ronald Reagan put them on the terrorism list in 1988, where they stayed for 20 years until George W. Bush took them off in 2008 as part of a diplomatic effort to try to stop the, the nuclear program. Are they sponsoring terrorism today? You'd have to say they are, but not in the sense that uh, some people talk about it. I think Senator like, Cotton talked about spreading mayhem around the globe. It's not like that at all. It's not on the Saudi Saudi Arabia scale or, of actively funding. Or, or Iran scale. Or, or, or even Iran scale, like sponsoring a major group that we consider terrorists, like Hezbollah. You, you, Obama, President Obama considered doing this, putting them back on, but he needed a legal 
justification for it, and there wasn't one. They don't actually sponsor terrorism groups until they killed Kim Il-nam, the uh, Kim, Kim Il-sung's, Kim Il, Kim Sung-il, wait a minute. Right. <laughs> <laughs> until they killed the half-brother of the current leader. Got it. Uh, Kim Jong-un's Kim half-brother. Jung, yes. Kim Jong-nam. Kim Jong-nam with VX in the Malaysian airport at Kuala Lumpur. Hmm. And that was in February, and that was an act of terrorism. You have to, you could say it's a, it's a, it's an assassination, but that is enough to put them back on the list. Does it matter that they're on the list? And the answer is not much. There aren't many more sanctions that we can put on them now than we could before they were on the list. Interestingly, the 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 kinds of sanctions that opens up are really sanctions that you can direct against uh, uh, secondary countries. So you can now under the the procedures now opened up to the United States, target Chinese banks for trade for, for for conducting business with North Korean banks. And and you have another lever. I'm not sure Donald Trump wants to go there, but he might. One one question I have, Joe, is if uh if we designate North Korea as a state sponsor of terrorism, uh and other countries around the world don't view it the same way or mm. a justification one man's sibling rivalry is another's international terrorist act. Um, does do you run the risk that other countries don't stay with us, unified in sanctions against North Korea? That they look at what we're doing as uh, too much or arbitrary and capricious? Uh, is there any danger of that here? Some, but North Korea is so isolated, and the international opinion is so against North Korea that, and there's so little trade. I mean, so it doesn't really affect many countries. China has 90% of the trade, and the other 10% is taking up countries like India, uh, Egypt, Japan has has a little. They buy mushrooms. You know, a a couple of things like that. So it's not a big deal for for most countries. It's China that that matters most on this. Will, by the way, that's true of other other areas as well in trade. You know, um, we saw 11 countries last week who were originally part of the TPP, said, okay, the United States isn't doing it. Oh. What the hell? We're going yeah. ahead without you. Same thing in Bonn, Germany, with the power climate change. Well, the United States isn't any longer mm. part of it. Every other country on the planet is, so we're just moving But, Bill, there are going to be ahead. a lot of listeners who are happy that Donald Trump pulled out of TPP now. True. True. I mean, this is but, this was not an unco- this was not an uncontroversial but, issue within the Democratic. No, no, no. But party. there's a difference between fair trade policy and zero trade policy, and I think that's a that's where Donald Trump has taken us, where we're just not going to be part of this global the, trade program, which is not good for the United States, in my judgment. Let me go Joe. back to North Korea just for one minute before Please. we leave it. Yes. Okay. The, the real back. question about this is the timing of it. What, why do it now? I mean, what do you get for it? And this is part of the incoherence of Donald Trump's foreign policy. There was no real reason to do it now, except that he had been talking about it on his trip, and he'd been foreshadowing this. But by doing it at a time when North Korea is relatively well-behaved, it's been over 60 days since they tested a missile or a nuclear mm-hmm. weapon, for mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. They're relatively quiet right now. You're kind of wasting this gesture. This is something you would have rather saved for response to the next provocation. And well, by doing it now, you almost provoke North Korea into answering, at least verbally, which they'll certainly do, and perhaps they'll use this uh, to, to justify a new test. Also, are we seriously to believe <clears throat> that sanctions are going to convince North Korea to abandon its nuclear weapons program. 
We are. That's what the president would like us I, to no, believe, no, no. and the I mean, answer is no. They're no. not. Yeah. We're never going to be able to put I mean, enough sanctions on them to force them to surrender or comply with our terms. Because they're only they're. I mean, if you're them, they're so isolated at this point. Yeah. Their their best hope for sanctions being undone is for them to acquire the ability to nuke things, nuke people. Exactly. And and, and so those are the two exactly. the, the the two issues that would force the North Koreans to, to talk about denuclearization is or to talk is one they feel that they've completed their what they call their state nuclear program and frankly most of us think they're a couple of tests away from being yeah. comfortable yeah. that they have a reliable missile that could hit the United States with a nuclear war so we're thinking a couple more tests or so and the other is whether the sanctions actually somehow did crunch them and bring them to the point of collapse then they might come to the table uh, the former is more likely than the latter mm -hmm. Joe's here and Sione with us, sporting a Carol Press scarf, and I, I hope you know. During you guys the, look very handsome. <laughs> okay, that uh, thanks to because uh, of the scarf here. This is a, <laughs> only because, right? So I just want you to know, I do always have one with me. This Thank is the weather to be wearing them again. Uh, BillPressShow.com. Follow the link to Carol Press scarves. Uh, uh, Congressman Adam Smith, Democrat from Washington State, yesterday, Joe, introducing uh, legislation to say the United States would have a new policy of no first strike. I thought, silly me, we already had that policy. You see, this is why liberals should do what they really believe in when they have the chance you to do You mean homework? I mean Obama. I mean President oh. Obama had a nuclear posture review seven years ago where he came real close to declaring no first use, the strategy of the United States, but he had resistance from the bureaucracy who wanted to have flexibility. No, what about hmm. this wild possible scenario? What if aliens invade, etc.? Yeah. And so he backed so, off, but yeah, he should you know. have done it. Then we wouldn't have this yeah. problem. That's then right. we wouldn't be worried book. about- I wrote a book called Buyer's Remorse, I, you may I, remember. Yes, yeah. yes, right. I do. No, and, and, and I, I did talk about this. And, yeah. and, and, and so now we're in the situation where we have a, a president of the United States that, and many people question his mental stability, who could launch a nuclear strike first on his own authority, not doesn't need anybody else's approval. And once he gives the order, short of a full-scale mutiny, you can't stop him from doing that. So here's Adam Smith. He's the ranking Democrat on the House Armed Services Committee. And he comes in with a very simple bill. It's one sentence long. The policy of the, of the United States should it is not to use nuclear weapons first. Bang. That solves the problem. I hope he gets a lot of support. What we need is missiles that get ours there first, faster. You know what I mean? Like, we detect a launch somewhere else, and ours are so much faster they hit first. Well, that is actually what our nuclear posture is based on now. So the whole reason we have this ridiculous chain of command, well, the president and the president alone can authorize it, is because we were afraid we were, the Soviets would attack us, and we had to be able to launch ours before the Soviet missiles right. could, could hit us. Could they get there first? Could they get there before the Soviets hit us? No, but they would get out of their silos. So we had this ridiculous system set up emphasizing speed and decisiveness and not questioning orders, which puts the president of the United States in this monarch position. He and he alone decides whether we launch nuclear and weapons. And we should, for, be, for further reading, check fail safe and Dr. Strangelove. Uh, still right. relevant. <laughs> still relevant. And also read uh, Bill Perry's book. I forget the name of it, Joe, but you On and I have talked about On the Brink. Yeah, uh, former Secretary yeah. of Defense about uh, how he he changed his thinking about yes. a nuclear weapon once he was in that position to be so close to 
being part of uh, uh, the co- chain of command. And once he was woken up at 3 a.m. in the morning on what turned out to be a false alarm, but we a were minutes alarm. away from waking up the president and telling him to launch the weapons. Right. And it yeah. was, um, was a training tape. Or something. A training no, a training tape, tape in that case. had been yeah. inadvertently put into the NORAD computer system, and everybody thought there was an actual attack. It would be hard to make, it seemed to me, to make a case why we should be the first ones to use nuclear weapons. We haven't used nuclear weapons in 72 years. Right. 72 years. And we are uh, no, the only we, nation on the planet to and, have used them. And we are. And we, we've Correct. been in wars. Yes, we're the only ones who've ever used them in combat. We've been in wars since then. We've lost wars. We've lost troops. we lost allies. And never has the president of the United States felt he had to use the nuclear weapons. It's really hard to imagine a military scenario that requires you to use a weapon that can kill tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of innocent men, women, and children. We have at that plenty. time, not to mention the after effect. Yeah, the, yeah, we have. You'd have to be on the brink of being taken over. You, I mean, to imagine that scenario, you would have to have essentially an invading army. I think, like, but there is no army that of can course, invade us. Right. Right. That's so what I'm saying. No, like, aliens. That's why you keep. That's why you right. go to Independence Day. Okay. That's why you might want to use a nuclear weapon to destroy the mothership. Well, but short of that, yeah, which so, surely, of course, would work against the aliens because they never would have thought of that. Thought of nuclear. <laughs> they're, weapons. they're able to travel here, but they never thought about like splitting the atom. All right. So this <laughs> this comes on the wake of the one of the top generals in the Pentagon last week oh, saying yeah. that. If he were given the order, yes. uh, that he would not carry may may not carry it out. Yeah, now the, there was this whether it's illegal or illegal order, you know. But what did he mean? Who, who, I forget the guy's name, but who, what did he mean? Well, and the, what did, what's the impact? Heighton General Heighton said Heighton, this up at the yeah. Halifax Security Forum, and uh, General Keller, the former um, head of the Strategic Command. Uh, said a similar statement before the the hearing of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee that that he says generals don't follow orders blindly. True, and if he was given an illegal order, it, he would have the right, and this is true under the Uniform Code of Military Justice, he would be have the right to refuse an illegal order. And we've had this since Nuremberg. Okay, uh, but that's not the point. Almost certainly, an, a nuclear strike order would be considered legal, even that if that is the president orders one of the plans that's in his book that the military officer carries in the new, what's called the mm-hmm. nuclear football, just a minute away from him at all times. One of those plans, they've already been vetted for legality. They've already been cleared. So if the president were to order one of those options, the general would be in receipt of a, a legal order. He would have no grounds to refuse it. And if he thought it was illegal and refused it, they asked him at the Senate hearing, what happens then? And there was this awkward pause. And he said, well, I don't know. Well, I don't his, know. His immediately hired successor well, does it. Just, well, that we saw the Saturday Night Massacre, that and it, it ends with it ends with right, uh, right. with Robert Bork and executing the That the is order. exactly right. If this general right. doesn't do it, he is fired on the He's spot. Fi- and, and, and there's another general in, in and, and if, another general uh, in, just like if he fires Robert Mueller and Rosenstein resigns. Uh, they'll get somebody to And with to certain fire presidents, that kind of resistance might make a difference. With a president like Richard Nixon or Donald Trump, they burn right through that kind of resistance. You are not going to stop them from executing. Executing their mission, what they want to do, what they're convinced they have to do. Forget it. There are no checks or balances on this president. But we also look. I mean, our system also is such that we vest that kind of power in the president. Yes. And there are legitimate legal arguments about uh, about what the power of the executive is and the unitary executive. There are legitimate legal arguments, but at the end of the day, 
we have decided that we want the president of the United States to have the power to launch nuclear weapons if, in fact, he believes that the United States is under such a threat that he should. And that's one of the things we consider when we elect presidents. And it's something that was certainly and talked about in advance of the election of Donald this time, Trump. Yeah, right. And Joe, Joe, we've talked about this several times on the show. I mean, I think it's a policy. I don't care who the president is. Yeah. It's a dangerous, dangerous policy. Nobody should have the Nobody. ability to destroy the world no man or on, woman. on their sole decision. Right. That's exactly right. Um, it's sort of so. I have to ask: Do you think Mattis would say the same thing about? Would Mattis resist uh, an order from Donald Trump to use a nuclear weapon? It depends. It depends on what the circumstances were. I mean, it's very easy to imagine a situation where North Korea does something provocative. They test a long-range ballistic missile with a nuclear warhead, and they detonate it in the Pacific. And the President of the United States orders a limited nuclear strike on North Korea. I can see generals saying, yes, we've got to do this. You already feel that current in this town. People are already starting to lean towards the military option. The Trump policy is having an effect. However inept you think it is, they are building the case for our only choice is military, and we're a hair away from using nuclear instead of conventional. And the man we're talking about, um, so General H.R. McMaster, who's the head of uh, Department of Homeland Security, reported this morning that he had a, at a dinner party this past oh, summer. Yes. Uh, he was talking about how difficult it is to deal with uh, Donald Trump, said he has the intelligence level of a kindergartner, and he called him a, an idiot and a dope. Um, Rex Tillerson called him a moron. A sort of a freaking moron. A, couple, a, fr- a little more oh, colorful. Oh, a little more oh, colorful. Oh, yeah. Than freaky. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. Yes. And, 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 and Senator- NBC first reported that chose not to use the uh, the F word. The F word, yeah. But yeah, Carol Lee's story. Yes. And, then, and then when they got pushed back, they went back and gave the full story. This was over nuclear weapons, by the way. He was at a briefing mm-hmm. and yes. he was showed the chart of the decline of nuclear weapons and he pointed to the high point in the chart and he said, I want that many. I want that many. Ten times what we have now. And that's when Tillerson said, he's a freaking moron. Sort of puts it all in context, doesn't it? Uh, on that bit of good news, <laughs> thank you, John Allen, for being here. Thanks, Thanks for all you're doing. Uh, at NBCNews.com and at Plowshares.org, you can find Joe Sirincioni. Thank you, guys. Thank this you. This is The Bill Press Show.